Hello, this is Mike Biffle, creator of Thomas Was Alone and John Wick Hex, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 50, wow, 5-0 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, September 20th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Jeff Grubb to the show to discuss the nature of industry leaks and the continued showdown for next-gen. PlayStation 5 Showcase has greatly impressed, putting pressure on Xbox ahead of their pre-order date, and Project xCloud has finally made its Game Pass Ultimate debut. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I want to offer a word of thanks and kindness to someone who made my gaming week better. And this week it goes to a new YouTube channel content creator that I discovered in the midst of my Halo Infinite uh, Mega Blocks building, uh, having fun creating content for future stuff here on XCP. I discovered The Domain, who is a master crafter when it comes to Halo Mega Blocks and that designing stuff there. It's always fun when we find people that share our passions and nerdisms uh, out about in the gaming world and so to find the domains channel and it let it be something of interest to me while I create Halo Infinite content for the future was a blast. I thank you so much for that channel there the domain and I look forward to more of it. I hope you guys check it out if you are interested as well. Plenty of gaming news to get to, much of it centered around the PlayStation 5's showcase that Sony put forward, and plenty to discuss there with how pre-orders went down. However, I do want to start on that topic of pre-orders as they pertain to the Xbox Series S and X. Uh, As I am recording this, they are set to go live on September 22nd. There is excitement and trepidation abound given how the PlayStation 5 pre-orders rolled out, some of them seemingly being sabotaged by the way retailers broke embargo and forced Sony's hand in a couple cases. Lots of people upset by that process and worried, of course, whether or not Microsoft will suffer the same fate. In many ways, it looks like, based on social media posts and uh, reporting most recently by Danny Pena of Gamertag Radio, that Microsoft plans to penalize retailers' stock if they do go forth and break embargo timing. So we'll see just how that goes down. I'm very curious to know uh, how listeners of this show whether or not they were successful, how they panned out in that. I know I intend to pre-order an Xbox Series X and, of course, one of the Seagate memory expansions there. Uh, I'm ready and willing to to spend that money and see how that goes, but we'll see if the process is as smooth as they might otherwise be. Uh, I would very much like to know, for listeners of this show, what it is you're intending to purchase and if you are indeed successful in that pre-order process. Please tweet me at InsipidGhost to let me know what you snagged. Of course, you can do the same thing for the PlayStation 5. I really love celebrating gaming with all the good people of this community, and I encourage you, whatever you're spending your money on, to have a good outlook on it and enjoy yourselves and celebrate that with people who will let you enjoy whatever it is you snag. Let me know what you're looking forward to. I had a lot of you uh, write in about that PlayStation 5 pre-order process with concerns and, and and worry for how that will go down for Microsoft. Boxenberger, my good friend Archimedes, uh, with an incredible YouTube channel, by the way, 
Now, he wrote in and said, I'd like to hear your take on the difference in how Microsoft and Sony will handle the pre-order situation. Oh, man, there, there's certainly a lot to, to take in there. Regarding the PlayStation 5, I would say pre-order debacle. I think it's fair to call it that. I'm not entirely convinced that is that, that is 100% uh, Sony's fault. I think retailers opened up early, and that caused a rat race of attention and spotlight from other retailers that were competing for that that spot. And I don't think the that, that those retailers were set up to handle the amount of bots that were were pushing to to gobble up that allotment and that each one got. I, I'm sure that Sony had plenty of issues in the way that they were, you know, providing information and allotment therein. But retailers need to be ready for bots gobbling up things to allow scalpers to, you know, offer a resale on the market because I think those can damage the case for a next-gen system. And that's a frustration point that all gamers seem to have. Sony had an email system that they were hoping would, would help alleviate that. The intended email system did not work. Uh, but the spirit that does seem to, the spirit of what they had there might have been effective had they, they functioned a bit differently and people not broken embargo date. Uh, queuing people in that way might handle waves of bots and mitigate some of that if Microsoft is able to do something very similar. For their part, Microsoft has announced the rollout times for pre-orders to go live. We'll see how that goes. I mean, we all hope that it will, of course, be smoother, and how could it not be at this point? Microsoft's social media accounts have tweeted multiple times that they are uh, intending to roll this stuff out, that they're, they're planning to uh, partner with certain retailers, that they've talked about which retailers they are. They've provided documentation for when pre-orders will go live in, in individual countries and dependent upon time zones, which retailers they're working with, and how to go about that. I still fully expect uh, bots and scalpers to try and gobble a lot of those allotments up. However, my hope is that they have learned from what happened with Sony and they are continuing to make steps to avoid as much of that as possible. Uh, we also have to imagine that with production lines and, and transitions through COVID and what they're dealing with there, that more allotment becomes available over the next month or two. Uh, Sony and Microsoft both, of course, in, in that respect. But my hope is that it is not nearly the the cluster of mess that it was to try and get the PlayStation 5. I would love to see people who genuinely want an Xbox Series S or X to find success in that. I, I'm so excited for this process. There's nothing better than uh, celebrating the newness and the new shiny in gaming and what that can bring for us. Uh, that Series X, I, I've already got it planned in my head. I'm so excited to see what it will look like, to, un to unbox it, to put it on the shelf. To, to retire the Xbox One X and see how that looks on the shelf there. It's just a, it's a fun, almost ceremonial aspect to getting a new system, and we should be able to celebrate and enjoy it. I am uh, fatigued from seeing people saddened and frustrated by the process, the leaks, the, the aspects that come with all of that, and my hope is that it goes smoother, to put simply. I think it will. I don't know how much smoother. I, I don't know how it could be worse, uh, and, and, you know, Maybe I'm speaking too soon on that. And by the time you're listening to this, it, of course, could already have gone down. And I am curious to see what you got. I'm also very curious to see how the reception of pricing on the Seagate memory packs go. I love that the Seagate memory stuff works in the Series S or X. You can just pull, pull, pull it out and plug it into to either system and move stuff and files that way. I'm very fascinated to see how pricing is received on that by the masses. We've had a lot of discussions, and we'll talk later in the show about the Series S and how people are 
working with with power on that front. But uh, bottom line, pre-orders are exciting, and we should all be ready and willing to spend or avoid spending the money that we plan to. Have that ready. Have your stuff loaded in. Uh, of course, you know multiple computers, screens. We'll see what happens there, but. Uh, Bottom line, let's hope for the best for the good people that genuinely want to enjoy those games. And uh, I mean, if you're a scalper and that's what you do, you suck. I'm not a fan of you. You kind of ruin it for the rest of us. Mm. I felt mean. I feel mean for that one. No, I don't. xCloud has officially launched to the Game Pass Ultimate subscribers en masse, and that could not be more exciting. Mind you, the beta moniker does still accompany the app on my end, and goodness gracious, I don't know if any of you saw the Xbox Game Pass socials. They are notorious for being witty and fun to follow. They put out probably the worst song I've ever heard in my life, talking about Game Pass and xCloud going live together and how excited they were. It was atrocious, and it's an abomination of music, and man, oh man, did I hate it. In the best way, it was clearly tongue-in-cheek, but it's cool to see xCloud go live with 100-plus Game Pass games be played on your Android devices. I'm having a blast with that Razer Kishi controller. It is really cool to get to play it on what has effectively turned my phone into a Switch with a better resolution. I really dig it. I played uh, Super Lucky's Tale. I played some Battletoads. I checked out Minecraft Dungeons. And it's really cool just to see how well that Razer Kishi works and how well xCloud works as compared to, say, when the, the, the program first launched. It's really come a long way. It's just neat to see that they work. It's neat to see all these games come through. And one of the features that is going live with several of the games in Game Pass is touch controls, something that I have trepidation about. Something I am worried about is seeing how Xbox games will work with touch controls. And for games like Minecraft Dungeons and Hellblade, they've actively worked with the teams that that created those games to make them function well with touch controls. And it's really neat to see. Minecraft Dungeons absolutely is, is fully playable with touch controls. And what a great thing that is for fan bases to see uh, the evolution of how touch gaming can work if you don't have a controller readily available. To say nothing else about controllers, I love how Xbox and xCloud, as it were, allows you to use any controller you like. You can use a PlayStation 4 controller. You can use a Razer Kishi controller, 8-BitDo, standard Xbox One. Uh, the Xbox Series controllers will work. It's awesome. If it functions with Bluetooth, you can use it. I am now spoiled with the low latency of the Razer Kishi, given that it USB-C connects, but it's cool. It's just nice to have another way to play games. It is not how I would want to experience all of Hellblade. However, if that's what I've got, if I've got a good tablet in front of me and I've got a quiet room and some headphones, rock on. That's cool. I just get excited by bringing people more gaming and seeing people get to celebrate games, as it were. I'm very ready, though, for xCloud to come to PC. That is something that I, I would really love to see happen. Had it been working, I would have been able to experience Gears Tactics uh, to the best of my uh, of its showcase piece early on. My computer could not run it. It chugged quite a bit. But if the cloud is taking the processing power, I just need a screen and inputs. That's a cool way to put it. I love the the promise of what xCloud brings and how much it has evolved from when it was first introduced. Uh, the, the easy dunk is on Stadia, of course, because Stadia is still a thing, and I often, without, without tongue-in-cheek, I forget that Stadia is out there and that people are enjoying it. But as those cloud technologies continue to improve, the possibilities continue to open up for the rest of us. So I, I'm uh, ecstatic to see Game Pass has, has allowed xCloud in, 
I hope that continues to go well. I am 100% confident that we would have seen the Xbox showcase that is so rumored at this point. I, w I believe that would have launched alongside xCloud so they could have coupled the announcements together. As it stands right now, I'm expecting it this coming week. I don't know how you could not have it this week with pre-orders going live. And again, who knows, by the time you're hearing this, maybe that's already happened and I'll be a genius for predicting the obvious. Uh, but uh, if you're enjoying xCloud, let me know. If you've tried the touch controls, let me know as well. Are you a Razer Kishi user? Do you, is that something that you're into? Were you willing to spend the 100 bucks, or are you just holding off and using the controllers you've got? Choice is the name of the game and there's plenty of it to go around, so rock on there. Circulating throughout many a conversation this past week after the leak and then subsequent announcement of the Xbox Series S was just how powerful that system is, just how well it will play backward compatible games compared to the 4K enabled Xbox One X that is out there right now, the one that I am using. A great deal of debate happened over whether or not it was better than the One X and Simply put, the measurements of power are no longer as simple as 16-bit is better than 8-bit, 32-bit is better than 16-bit. It's a far more complex question than it once was. And in many ways, it, it accidentally brings up the argument from way back when of, you know, what's better, what's more powerful, the PlayStation 1 or the Nintendo 64? 64, of course, had more raw power, but PlayStation had abilities and, and methods of showing far better and more impressive graphics via backgrounds and images and 3D rendering, and it was just neat to see the two go back and forth. And as far as the Xbox Series S is concerned, that message is very difficult to get across because of the way that we measure power, teraflops and flips and skips that I couldn't care less about, 4K enabled versus versus a, a lower resolution. Is that a big deal to you? Can your eyes even see it? Well, digital foundries who are masters in their craft of technology analysis uh, went and dove into this question just a bit more. And Sam Tolbert from Windows Central has some reporting here that I'm going to read uh, fairly verbatim for you because I think it's helpful. And this is, this is Sam Tolbert, Windows Central. He's saying, quote, per digital foundry, Xbox Series S enhanced original Xbox games by a factor of three times, increasing resolution from 480p to 1440p, and similarly enhanced Xbox 360 titles uh, like there have their resolution increased two times to 1440p. And this isn't a 4K upgrade that we've seen on the Xbox One X, and it will not carry over to the Xbox Series S. It is a far cry from leaving games untouched in spite of the more limited Xbox Series S specs. In addition, supporting the same auto HDR machine learning that the Xbox Series X has and can apply to games like Halo 5 Guardians, the Xbox Series S will also support the doubling of frame rates for select games. Now, this is a quote from Andrew Goosen from Digital Foundry. I'm sorry, Andrew Goosen, as he spoke to Digital Foundry, he says, quote, We designed the Xbox Series S to enhance Xbox One S games in the way that Xbox One X can't do. We made it easy for existing Xbox One S games to up, be updated and run double the frame rate when played on Series S as well, end quote. So as complicated as it is, as many numbers are being thrown out there, you know, teraflips and resolution points and 1080p, 1040 or 1440p, etc. The bottom line is an Xbox Series S will enhance old games. It will make them look better and double their frame rates, increase their resolution uh, therein. It doesn't do it in the same way as an Xbox One X, and that is absolutely fine. To be very clear, that is absolutely fine. The Xbox One X 
is a 4K machine and was extremely expensive and a premium product. Didn't sell nearly as well as the Xbox One S. And so there's a different business model to take the Xbox Series S into next gen. Supporting the same machine learning approach to uh, improve graphical fidelity is fantastic. It does the same thing for the Xbox Series X. I love that. I, I love the increased uh, or the improved rather load times. And when we talk about 4K and graphics, it's very important to remember a couple things: display rates and what people have available to uh, display on their monitors are are something to consider. Expensive natures of that uh, aside. A lot of the machines that are out there right now, PS4 Pro, the way that PS5 is rendering some 4K, is not necessarily true 4K, and so what? I don't care about that in the same ways that, that some people might expect me to. The bottom line is, when I play a great game, that great game is fun. And if the machine improves my experience, that's fantastic. But I played God of War on a PlayStation 4 Slim. Still the best game I've ever played in my life. Did my friends have a better experience on PS4 Pro with, with different monitors? Perhaps, maybe, I still loved playing the game. When I play on an Xbox One S, an old 360 game, it's improved. It still looks better than it did prior. The Series S will do something very similar. If I played on a Series X, I might be getting a different type of improved experience, but the game itself will speak for itself, and that is great and okay. If 4K is not necessary for you to have a good time, and it won't be bothering you in the back of your mind, or you're not going to be overly worried with it, rock on. Get a Series S. That's awesome. I love the machine learning aspects of the Series S. I love that the memories, the Seagate memories can be transferred between them. I love that it can play my old games. love that it can play my new games, and load times are going to be better. I think if you are in the market for next-gen, and $500 is too steep for you, be it a PlayStation 5, an Xbox Series X, what have you, Rock on with the Series S. That's a great system. I could not be more excited. It's small. It's sleek looking. Uh, I think you'll you'll really enjoy that system uh, if it's there for you. So I love that we're getting breakdowns. I love that we're getting more clear messaging on what it can and can't do, what it's intended for. But the bottom line is if it plays the games, have a good time with that. Alrighty, a big talking point this past week was the PlayStation 5 Showcase. And this pertains quite heavily to the Xbox ecosystem, given the way that they've announced price points for their next-gen systems, given some of the games that are and are not coming to the Xbox platforms so that will be exclusive. And I thought it prudent to take a moment and break a little bit of that down, particularly because many of your questions that you wrote in for later on in the show pertain to that. So the standard version is coming on November 12th. The PlayStation 5 is launching on November 12th, two days after the Xbox series of devices. The PlayStation 5 disk drive edition will cost $499, whereas the all-digital version will cost $399, meaning you've got a four and $500 system depending on if you wanna go digital or have a disk drive. The all-digital edition is a bigger loss for that system. That The PlayStation 5 is packed with technologies that are extremely expensive. Both versions will be sold at a loss. Not a big deal. Don't get your panties in a bunch on that one. It happens to most consoles when they launch in general. What's interesting is they'll be losing quite a bit on that all-digital edition, and we are told that they are in very short supply going forward. This makes sense. The $399 is a wonderful price point. Love that price point. That's the one I would like to get. But it's a great marketing point early on so they can say they have a $399 box while they work on getting their stock boosted. They've got more 
disk drive versions out there, which allows early adopters to help balance the books a little bit and eat some of that upfront cost and make more money to them. Mind you, the all digital edition will make its money back very quickly, given that once you buy a digital version of a PlayStation, you buy everything from PSN. So you're invested in that ecosystem for a long time as you can't buy physical media. It's a great marketing point for them to have a $399 box, particularly given that Xbox Series S is a $299 box. Having a $300 system to compete with is a tough thing to do given that they've overclocked and pushed that system uh, in the PlayStation 5 as hard as they are doing. It is also an interesting difference in strategy that that system will pretty much be identical. Disk drive, no disk drive. But the, the internal specs and rendering, identical. We'll see really and truly whether or not the Series X's power uh, marketing speak is worth it to people, if the disk drives matter to people, and if they, they care about Game Pass and the goodwill that Microsoft is trying to generate going forward. That same goodwill that is leading their social media accounts to encourage people to play where they want to play, even if they're saying they want to play on a PlayStation 5, and then offering, hey, down the line, try an Xbox or check out Game Pass. We've got ways for you to play. It'll be interesting to follow this. It will not be easily foretold and shown in the first few months of these systems launches. I think the 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 way that we receive information, a lot of articles will likely be written in that first month. You know, this group sold this many units. This many units uh, sold for PlayStation for Xbox, and that's not a good that's not a good barometer for how the market will play out over the entire next gen going forward. Because you're looking at scalpers, you're looking at early adopters who are going to buy hardware and console. Uh, launch stuff anyway. They're going to buy things up. It's really the latter six months in that first year that, that it tells the tale for what people want. Engagement numbers, how much money is being spent in those ecosystems. The amount of units sold is one measuring point. Without a doubt, Sony trounced Xbox this generation. But were all of those people that bought those units engaged in the ecosystem and spending money? We know that all three console manufacturers have been very successful going forward uh, in the way that they are engaging their audiences and making money. So losing out in this past gen in terms of units sold didn't necessarily cost Microsoft as much money as we might think it does. Uh, and, and who knows? It's not necessarily uh, the end-all, be-all. The bottom line is you can play your games where you like. But back to this PlayStation 5 showcase, which I thought was extremely impressive. Sony did a fantastic job with this showcase. They got the prices out there towards the end of it, and they announced quite a bit of a difference and yet a counterpunch to Xbox Game Pass with their instant game collection, or rather the PlayStation Plus collection, they're calling it, saying that select backward compatible titles will come to the PlayStation 5 for free as an added perk to having a PlayStation subscription. PlayStation Plus subscription on PlayStation 5, meaning you can access some of PlayStation 4's best games like God of War, Days Gone, Persona 5, Monster Hunter World, I believe Mortal Kombat is in there. So bottom line, if you've got PlayStation Plus and you've got a PlayStation 5, you're getting some of Sony's best PlayStation 4 games immediately. That's a wonderful counter to Xbox Game Pass, which is a still a better value, I would argue, but the, the power of Sony's exclusives are strong. And to, to buy into a PlayStation and say you immediately get Spider-Man, Days Gone, God of War, is a pretty strong incentive to stick with that ecosystem. My counterpoint to that is if you've got a PlayStation 4 right now, you probably have most of those games. Not many people are going to be new to that ecosystem given how many PlayStation 4s were sold, as we just mentioned. Love the added value of buying a PS5 and a PlayStation Plus subscription. That's great. You're going to get in on that. And I like that it forces Microsoft to continue creating value into their, their 
subscription service with Game Pass, the, the back and forth, man, is just wonderful. It's, it's a fantastic bit of value for gamers. And amidst the rising cost of games, the fact that many, uh, many of the next-gen games are going to run up to $70 American now, says that we need value where, wherever we can get it. And why not, why not pay it forward, I suppose, into the ecosystem that you purchase into? Other announcements that I thought stood out from that PlayStation 5 showcase was that Final Fantasy 16 is going to be a PlayStation console exclusive. That's right. If you want Final Fantasy 16, you will not be able to play it on an Xbox console. No word yet if it's coming to PC officially. We've seen count. We've seen uh, conflicting reports on that. Is the right way to put that, I believe. And whether or not those can be into Game Pass for PC or not is, is remains to be seen. But if you want to play Final Fantasy 16 on a console, you have to play it on a PlayStation. You cannot play it on an Xbox. From what we know at this point, uh, I, I still don't have clear messaging on whether it's a timed exclusive. But my gut instinct is that no, it is not. At least not for right now. And to me, this breaks the messaging we've seen over the past year with Final Fantasy coming to Game Pass and being so supportive of Microsoft's initiative to get heavy hitters in the Japanese market over onto Xbox. I'm so curious to see if that continues going forward. We saw Kingdom Hearts come over. We saw Final Fantasy come over. I believe it was Monster Hunter and Yakuza have all made their way into the Xbox ecosystems going forward. We'll see if that continues, but for Final Fantasy to make the decision that they are is a big win for PlayStation in terms of messaging. I don't think it's a big win in terms of like sales. I don't think they were making a ton of money over on Xbox. I'm not sure that the Microsoft fan base was really gobbling up Final Fantasy at nearly the same rate, but that's a big win in messaging. It is just a big win in messaging. It's always been nearly synonymous to say Final Fantasy and think PlayStation, but I, it looked like that was starting to split back out and even out a bit more. And then for this to happen seems to swing that, that pendulum back into Sony's uh, favor. At least for now, we will see. Uh, but uh, big win over there. Microsoft needs to find a way to counter that if they want to remain competitive uh, in, in mindshare for the Japanese markets. Interesting also, we saw Hogwarts Legacy. For those Harry Potter fans who are out there, and I know there are many of them, I myself not one of you, but... Props to you for finally getting the game that you have so long heard rumors for, that in-universe Harry Potter game. Uh, it's, again, called Hogwarts, Hogwarts Legacy. You'll be set in the 1800s open-world RPG, and your actions will shape the world of Harry Potter, which is cool. It's nice to see that they've got what I thought was a brilliant-looking game that captures the spirit of, of Harry Potter. It's photorealistic nearly. At least it looks like it at this point. You'll get to have spells, and you'll meet up with you know iconic characters from that universe. You'll work with Fantastic Beasts, which is, hey, that's the title of another movie. Look at that. Bottom line, uh, sometime in 2021, theoretically, that's coming to multi-platform. I fully expect that game and God of War 2 and a few others from that showcase to get delayed. Uh, we will see. But nonetheless, that's a big win as well for, for Sony to have into their showcase. And I am very curious to see if Microsoft is able to respond with heavy hitters of their own in their upcoming showcase that I, I, we all expect at this point, where they show off the Xbox Series S and they talk about... Uh, what makes games run better on that system. A lot of pressure in, in Microsoft's court right now. Again, I've said it before this episode, said it many an episode, the back and forth, so cool to watch. So cool to watch. Sony absolutely brought it in this showcase uh, and countered the very, very impressive marketing from Microsoft this past year overall in the way they've handled things. So I'm curious to see 
what they've got coming forth, who is going to you know, win the day in terms of best showcase and the games to play. Uh, and man, what a great time to be a gamer. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive, play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Goodness gracious, lots of listener mail going forward. And before we get to it, I do want to let you know I've been playing quite a bit of Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning in one of the worst titles ever, uh, and I would argue one of the worst ports ever. It's a remaster in name only. This game is ported. It it still is a fantastic game. Kingdoms of Amalur, one of the best and most fun RPGs of its time. But there is no doubt in my mind this remaster is a lackluster at best. I love Amalur. I've had a great time with the gameplay. The voice acting is incredible. The music is still incredible. And I have loved every step of the way. The visuals even look a little bit better. But to call it a remaster sells it, uh, sells it, or it does it a disservice. It's not a remaster. It's a port. And I was really disappointed with how this was re-released. And uh, I, I know a lot of the major outlets were reporting like sixes and fives for, for the remaster. And I'm thinking to myself, how could that possibly happen with a game that's so good? Is the game still good? Yes, the game is still fantastic. And if you go in thinking you're playing a retro game or a game from 2012, you're going to love it. Amalur is a blast. You see this on sale, you get it, and you'll have a good old time. With the knowledge that they've not remastered a darn things in terms of, of UI and presentation, at most they gave you a field of view slider, and that's it. They could have done so much with that UI and updated the, the way you interact and handle menus in this game, and they just didn't. And I'm really disappointed in that, because that universe has been so highly touted with potential, and then so many of the, the controversies that surrounded uh, 38 Studios and what they were doing, it's frustrating to see this bad port happen. Um, without a doubt, you'll have a blast if you play it. There's no doubt the game is fun. This port, or this remaster as it were, not good. Not good at all. And I was just really bummed out by that. I purchased the collector's edition to get the statue because I do have a love for Amalur. Um, I also got a review code, to say nothing else. I did get a review code uh, from that, so take this all with a grain of salt, but of course I'm not praising it. Uh, I'm telling you that if you want a great fantasy game, buy this via Back Compat for Xbox 360, because it's enhanced for X, or snag this remaster, or remat, yeah, it's a remaster, I guess. Uh, snag it if it's on sale, and you'll have a good time with the game. But without a doubt, I'm just disappointed by how they presented this otherwise uh, impressive game there. It's it's just frustrating. I don't have a good way to, 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 to word my way out of this. I typically try to, to articulate my thoughts better, but it's just frustrating, I think, to see a great game be treated so haphazardly. And THQ Nordic has made no bones about it. That is their model going forward with several of the properties that they have gobbled up. It's great that we get a new version to play. I like that. I hope it rekindles interest in that, in that universe. But man, it's a bad, it's a bad remaster. Take that, take that how you will. Alrighty, guys, let's get to that listener mail. Quite a few of you writing in this week. Let's start with Elemento Pio, as he says. He says, here we go. Co-op has always been an integral part of gaming back to the NES days, and Xbox has always kept this philosophy in many of its first-party offerings, although Sony games don't seem to offer as much, uh, especially this gen. 
is co-op still important to you in the upcoming gen? Element Appeal, that's a great point. However, I disagree a little bit with the Sony aspect. I think a lot of the big Sony games are single player anyway. So how would you interpret or put co-op into them? Whereas Microsoft has subscription services to sell. Uh, they want you to be playing side by side or with people. That's the model that they go forth. Is co-op important to me in the upcoming gen? Absolutely. Many of my favorite games are played with friends. They are co-op based, not competitive. I love playing Sea of Thieves with people. I've been enjoying playing Avengers with people. I love playing co-op with my buddies, Mr. Badbit, myself, and my buddy Kevin. Uh, we have a we, we play almost every day. We'll play something in co-op. If your question is specific to couch co-op, not really necessary for me in my lifestyle and the way I enjoy gaming. I think that some series need to have that as a staple. Gears of War, Halo notwithstanding. Halo 5 really disappointed people when it didn't have local co-op. Halo Infinite seems to be rectifying that. At least two-player local co-op for some of those games is important. But in games like Sea of Thieves, no, not really. Not really needed there. Co-op is a must for the, the, the infrastructure and the way that Microsoft has had set up or has set up their business going forward local co-op is not a must that should be taken on a game by game basis depending on the fan base the interest and the statistics and numbers if people aren't using it why put it in there if it's a game that that lends itself to it rock on and have it there but i don't think uh co-op should go anywhere couch co-op should be taken on a case-by-case -case basis more questions here. We've got Hypecaster saying, Sony unexpectedly got a timed Final Fantasy exclusive and Harry Potter announcement. Hearing rumbles of one last Xbox presentation before sales begin. What's the one last minute surprise exclusive or announcement uh, that could make waves? I've thought a lot about this, Antonio, and I don't know that there is one. I know I've answered, I feel like I've answered this question in some variation a couple times over the past few months. I don't know that there is one at this point. I think the loss of Halo Infinite and how they would put so many marbles into that basket really tanks any potential big news that could be out there that's not been leaked thus far. The, the one thing I think a lot of people keep bringing up is that Cyberpunk might go day and date into Game Pass. I, don't, I still don't see that happening. It's just too big and too much money on the line there, and there's no real big incentive for CD Projekt Red to do that as, as the good guys of gaming that they are. I don't see a big incentive for them to do that unless Microsoft is shelling a pretty penny. And even then, I don't know that that would really sell consoles or move a needle for them. Uh, if there is a new game out there that we are not aware of it, I mean, it's probably a superhero game. And what could it be? Black Panther is the only one, and that might be more complicated if it even exists. But Batman news is already out there. Spider-Man's exclusive. The Avengers exist. I don't know that a Fantastic Four game would move a needle. I don't know that a Superman game can be out there given that Suicide Squad is there. So I don't know what other franchises there are to capitalize on that move a needle in a big way. So I don't I don't see anything major happening, man. Not not unless I'm as surprised as anybody else. We'll st hey, man, that'd be cool. But uh, I don't think that's happening. The incredible Todd Oxter writing in with, What is your roadmap? For Xbox first-party games in 2021, do you think that we will uh, see many Xbox Series S and X-only games going forward? 
Great question, Todd. And when I look at the first party, I mean, we've got Gears Tactics at launch. That's a big deal. That game is supposed to be very good. Again, I, as I've said before, I don't think Gears of War is the, a needle mover, as it were, on its own. But that's a good showcase piece going forward, given how great the game is. I think in the opening two or three months, you get Microsoft Flight Simulator. I don't believe that's day and date. We would know by now, most likely. But Flight Simulator needs to be on console to help move the needle. And then from there, there's not a lot happening first party that we're know knowing of in the launch window. I think a lot of Ninja Theory's projects are too far out. Hellblade 2 is likely a 2022 game. Avowed is in there for a couple years from now as well. Fable and Everwild look like they're a little bit further off. Bottom line, I think Series S and X are happening a bit too soon given Halo Infinite's delay for Microsoft's liking. But you're getting a lot of games that are going to be cross-gen compatible. I think the Series X is going to be the best place to play games like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Cyberpunk 2077 coming forward. It looks like even those uh, publishers with their big AAA games are not ready for next-gen patches either. And you could blame COVID for that. You could blame timing. I, I just don't know where that blame or fault lies. But uh, that first roadmap needs to be Gears Tactics, which they've got, needs to be a Microsoft Flight Simulator, and then from there, maybe Everwild's a small game. We need to see more of what the other studios are making. Psychonauts 2 maybe in there. I just don't I don't know what they've got to counter Sony's impressive slate of Miles Morales, Horizon Forbidden West, uh, Ratchet & Clank. We'll see. I mean, I mean, that's the easy way out. We'll see. Uh, but Halo Infinite, a lot wrote on that. And we'll see how they operate bringing information forward there. My good buddy John Wall from the Mega Dads wrote in. He says, do you think the Xbox Series S can overcome the notion that it's underpowered and become a true next-gen option? Yes, absolutely, John. The underpowered narrative is only happening really in our social media spaces. It has been proven time and again that power does not matter, which is why I've often been baffled by Microsoft's approach to world's most powerful console and they got no reason to show it. Like there's nothing really showing off in that case. Series S will sell far more than Series X in the first year. Series S will be the perfect second system for any PlayStation fan or any Nintendo fan because it buys you into Game Pass and there's so much value there. I, I think Series S is going to be great and it will become the actual main, main system for Microsoft going forward, whether they want it to be or not. I, I know they want it to be the Series X and talk about how great that is, but... I think the Series S, with its incredible price point, is the perfect system to tout. And uh, that narrative of being underpowered will be quickly dispelled, given that, that you can play great games regardless of resolution. And resolution, I believe, is a bit overrated in the conversation right now, given the, the, the how much 4K is actually out there, real 4K, given that our current consoles, only the One X can truly display 4K, and nobody cares, right? The PS4 Pro does what it does, and people love it with 4K. 4K, 4K. Uh, so I, I think Series S is, is just fine and sitting pretty there going forward. A final question for you coming from Famous Seamus. He says, do you think all digital consoles will sell as much or more than the consoles with disk drives? Yes, Famous Seamus, easily so. Yeah, all digital will be the main seller going forward for both Sony and Microsoft without a doubt in my mind. I think the initial shipments 
for Sony with disk drives, allow them to make up some of the costs of selling the system at a loss, and early adopters are willing to spend that money. Uh, the Xbox Series X, of course, many people will buy into that power narrative first. However, those first systems, those first shipments that come with that in that first six months, really those are not a good barometer. Those are really the early adopters, the scalpers, the bots, gobbling stock up uh, for their purposes. It's the latter half of the first year of launch that will see the, the true narrative be formed. As I said in answering John's question, I think the Series S is going to be the big seller. If you look at the Xbox One family of devices, the Series S sold gangbusters compared to the Series X. And that comes down to price point, for sure. I mean, both those consoles look great, but it comes down to price point. For Sony's side, the instant game collection is their their method of pushing you in digital sales they want you in that digital ecosystem because all of their sales go through psn they don't sell their digital games to third-party retailers like amazon at least not based on what i understand it to be at the moment and so they want you going through their ecosystems yes those digital systems will be the mainstay people will go that route digital media is the future physical is dying uh, I know we've got longtime champions of physical media, and you guys are out there, and you are awesome. You love your games on, on physical. I know it's it's something special. There is something special about going and buying a game and opening it up. I, lo I know I love that feeling, too. I'm excited for it with consoles, but physical media is going the way of the Dodo. It just is. The ease and convenience of digital distribution, the method of, of transaction, and the way that the financing goes for those companies digital is the future and we'll likely see physical media become more like limited run and it'll be more a niche market that's awesome there's nothing wrong with that it's just change it's just change as we go but you know the first six months crap shoot you can't use that as a real measuring point but after that then you'll see it start to pan out the way that you would expect and i do think digital is the way it goes there that is going to be it for listener mail. And in a moment, I will send you over to the interview with Jeff Grubb from VentureBeat and GamesBeat to talk about uh, all things in the nature of leaks and how leaks happen, which was really insightful. And I could not be more thankful to have Jeff onto the show. I am ecstatic that we just hit this episode 50 mark. Launching this show solo was a, nerving, a nervous point for me, to be sure. Uh, trying to avoid the narrative that it's only about the interviews was also a difficult point. I am so thankful. I've crossed 40 reviews over on iTunes. The numbers on the show continue to climb, and I'm so grateful for so many of you um, taking the time to do that on your PCs if you didn't have iDevices, and if you did have iDevices, doing that as well. Uh, it, make, it means the world, and hitting episode 50 is a big big thing for me because I didn't know if we'd make it. I didn't know if I'd make it. You know, it's tough to do a show solo and, you know, would anybody even listen? So I'm I'm grateful for a lot of reasons in that respect. Uh, more in that idea, we will hit the year mark in a couple episodes from now as well. Episode 53 will actually be the year mark due to timing and the way that lands. But thank you guys for listening in. I appreciate you sticking with me uh, throughout. If you're new to the show, thank you for being here. I hope you guys are enjoying it as well. Of course, Jeff Grubb is in this episode, and I'm working on more game developer interviews coming forward. If you know of anybody you'd love for me to have on the show, developers, voice actors, uh, industry publishing voices, feel free to, to ping me. Let me know you'd like me to try to reach out for them. If you have connections there and you want to connect me to them, fantastic, cool stuff there. But uh, bottom line, thank you for joining me on this journey that is XEP. Uh, thank you for being with me for all 50 episodes or one episode, depending on where you've come in. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy Jeff Grubb's interview. Take care, guys.
Alrighty, guys, it is my pleasure to welcome one of the most insightful voices in games media today, curator of Jeff Grubb's Summer Game ma- uh, Mess and reporter for GamesBeat.com. Jeff Grubb, welcome to XEP, man. Thank you for having me on. Uh, the, the mess never ends is what I found out. So it's going to have to find a new name because the summer's over, but uh, the mess is not. Yeah, that list seems to keep getting longer, my dude. There's no doubt about that. We have so many places that we can start uh, this interview with. But for those who are unaware, can you let us know how long have you been kind of in the games industry and what brought you to it, man? Yeah, I've uh, I've been doing it for I mean, since around 2012 professionally. Um, maybe a little bit before that, like I got probably paid for a few stories here or there. Uh, but, but yeah, I just got brought into it by being super into games and then reading a lot of games media growing up, uh, a lot of video game magazines. And uh, I, there was a, a really cr- a really great um, sort of attitude in games magazines back in the day on EGM and game players and stuff like that. And I, um, I would read those and I would say, I want to like hang out with those people. I want to be among the people doing this magazine. And uh, that sort of just became the goal that, and, and I tried to figure out what I could do to make that happen, and uh, eventually that just led to me uh, volunteering for a couple of sites run by some people that used to be in the magazine, and as they went on to different jobs, they sort of said, hey, you know, Jeff, we know you, you could do some of this stuff. Do you want to help? And I did, and, and eventually they started paying me, and it worked out. I, you know, before this, I was uh, I was delivering pizzas and stuff like that, delivering sandwiches for Jimmy John's, and I would just kind of be writing on the side, um, and I just kind of pushed at it, pushed at it, and eventually it all it all seemed to work out. It wasn't exactly that easy, but uh, it, it was a combination of luck, knowing the right people, and, and just keeping at it for a very long time. But, uh, yeah, I just uh, I just really wanted to – I think that's the biggest thing. I wanted to be among the people writing about games, and uh, I did what I could to make that happen. Well, I've ima- I imagine you've brushed elbows with a few, of, uh, a few of the people you've looked up to in your time. Do you have any career highlights that – you enjoy thinking about or looking back on? Yeah, I um uh I I think going to my first E3 was really great. It was awesome to just uh when because my first E3 was 2013 and that was when they were rolling out the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One and uh I remember going to the PlayStation events and uh being with Dan Shu who did used to run EGM and uh you know I was working with him. And so he knew all the PR people. And so, you know, you go in and you can kind of just like sit in the audience or whatever and, and write your stories from there. Uh, but, you know, he knew the PR person for, for Sony. So we, we got into this like special press section that had these desks and like internet connection and, and power strips. And we just went in there and sat down. It was super comfortable. And it was also, it was like right off to the side of like looking at the audience, but also looking at the stage and sitting back and watching people react to that show and like watching a company being like at the height of their game of being able to like, Hey, like speak to gamers in a way that they want to be spoken to and, and watch that happen. That was, it was a very cool experience. It was awesome to just see them like, uh, uh, you know, roll out that video about trading games and, and then, uh, go to for, like say, hell, hey, here's, um, here's the price. It's $400 and just people lose their mind. That was a, a really cool moment to be, to be like, Hey man, I'm, I'm like right in it now. I've always wanted to go to, go to E3. Now I'm there and I'm like watching all this stuff happen right in front of me. It was kind of, I was kind of chuckling the whole time. It was like a, a really a, a giddy experience. It really did feel like Sony was at its best at that point, didn't it? It, it was, it felt like peak Sony of any, of any and all times. And, and that window of time, a question I like to ask a lot of the games journalists and media that, that come on the show is how has it changed from when you started to where we are now yeah man uh 
so when I came in, I, I, I never did any print myself. I will, I've always been on the internet. So, uh, I, I guess what I've seen happen is, is like, uh, we've been kind of consistent for our, our side of things. Mm-hmm. Well, but what's been interesting is watching, uh, the people that we deal with, like NPR and in, in, you know, media relations at, at these companies, uh, figure out like what they're doing with, with like influencers and YouTubers and stuff like that and, and, and see like where we fit in, fit in on that. I think, um, uh, a good example of this is Bethesda. Bethesda think, like thinking, okay, you know what? We're just going to not do reviews anymore. We're going to, um, we'll send games out to people like the day before they come out. Uh, but we're just gonna not gonna do reviews with the traditional press. We'll just kind of do stuff with 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 influencers, and um, and that didn't that didn't really work. That's not what what people actually wanted, and, and their their games uh, uh, it seemed like they suffered a little bit from that. Like they're just the hype died down just a little bit. You can't just rely on on influencers. Influencers are expensive. You have to pay them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so figure watching them figure out how to deal with that stuff, and I think they've they've mostly figured that stuff out, and it, and it comes down to uh, if you have like a big free to play online game, yeah, you should be spending a lot of money on on those people and trying to get them to promote your game. Um, otherwise, it, it can be kind of a, a crapshoot about whether or not it's going to work. Like uh, uh, Fall Guys didn't need to pay anyone. Fall Guys just just happened. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and if you tried to force that stuff, it just it wouldn't work. Um, but for, so for us, it's been been like sort of sitting back, doing our work, writing about games, writing about what's going to happen, and kind of. Um, having everything else change around us. And then uh, it, it's always come back to like, oh, we, we still want to have a good relationship with you if, if possible. Uh, you know, you might write critical stuff about us, but we're not going to, we're not going to have like thin skin about that. We, we still want the press involved. We still want the media, media involved. Uh, you know, the, all of these companies still have people that are basically dedicated to, to trying to communicate with us. Uh, and, and they are now separate from the, the people trying to communicate with YouTubers and, and influencers. Um, and, and those people are the people that deal with us are like pretty dead set on making sure that we do get hands on, that we do get a chance to talk to, to talk to people that we do get a chance to, uh, experience everything straight now as with as much access as possible. Um, and I, it's, it's been nice to see like that sort of, um, uh, th- that sort of up and down, like, Oh, maybe we don't need, Maybe maybe we don't need the traditional media. Maybe we don't. Maybe we can find ways to cut them out because they are unreliable in terms of how we want to message our game. And then mm-hmm. people come back around and say, oh, wait, you know what? Actually, in the end, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have these people, uh, you know, talking about our game, uh, thinking critically about them. Uh, it's not really going to hurt us that much in the end. So it, it's that, that's been the biggest change, I think. Interesting. And now you mentioned, you know, having thick and thin skin for different companies with influencers and feedback and uh, curators and whatnot. Do you think that has worked well for companies to to adjust to that messaging as far as, you know, when they get critical feedback to shun or not shun it? Because that's a narrative we hear a lot on the amateur side, you know. Don't don't say this about this company or that people getting you know blacklisted or whatnot. Does that happen really, or is that just internet hype? Yeah, I, I feel like it. I mean, it it, it has happened. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's happened to us. I think I think maybe there might be some companies that don't like the way I talk about them. Uh, but if they don't, I it hasn't really affected the way I, I do my job. It hasn't mm-hmm. really, um, you know, if 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 I say something critical and, and, or or if I'm like leaking stories even like you know if I'm writing a news story about a, a game that like like EA I've done a lot of stuff with EA and EA is, is seems to be like you know what this is just 
this is just business. We we, we get it. And and when uh, Mike Mike Minotti, our reviews editor, reaches out to get a review game, uh, they, they don't say anything about it. They don't say, hey, oh, you know, well, if you want this review game, you have to stop doing stuff. They just they they do their business with him and send us the review games, and then he hands them off to me, and I might do a review or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it just you, you, I. I would. I was expecting maybe a little bit more uh, pushback from like if, if if you like ruin people's marketing campaigns or if you criticize them in certain ways. And I just think that all of these companies are so far past that at this point, for the most part. Uh, I think Bethesda with uh, Kotaku was was is still one that is that is weird and has never uh, that has never been repaired. Uh, and it's it feels like Bethesda really should just get over that. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously there are examples of where it does happen, but for the most part. Uh, I, I just I'm I'm uh, pleasantly surprised that like companies like Sony are just like, you know what, it, it, we can handle a criticism a lot easier than a lot of our fans seem to. Uh, <laughs> and and so, yeah, go ahead. So say what you got to. We, we're, we're pretty confident that our games are in our in our consoles and our products are going to speak for themselves. And so uh, that is that is that has been my experience. Certainly an understatement to say that uh, fan bases react very, very <laughs> wildly and passionately to positive and negative feedback. Uh, that's an understatement at this point. Now, you mentioned the thing, uh, you mentioned leaks. Lots of leaks happening in recent weeks. Recent events are, are all about what people are finding out and what, what they don't, what they find out ahead of time, what's been announced. To put it very simply, how do leaks happen? Hmm. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it, it happens every which way. Like you know, you, one person knows a person, and or, you know, one person has a, a strong relationship with a you know a, a group of developers that let that move around the industry. The, the thing is, the video game industry is, is surprisingly small. Um, uh, if if someone's worked in this industry long enough on the development side, they've probably worked at a lot of these a lot of different companies now, and that loyalty, like to protect their employer, is um, it only runs so deep. It only runs as, as deep as that NDA that they signed, and if they've um if they've got a good friend that they they like to confide in that that, that they want to uh you know say things to so that like uh, because they're because they they also are probably sick of all the secrecy and they want like the the fans to know stuff uh they're just going to keep talking they're going to keep saying what's going on um and i i, I you know it, it, it's it's a, it's the thing about the leaks is is like you know it's one of the things that makes the video game reporting go round and if there was any one way to like get them uh it would be a lot easier my job would be a lot easier <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> uh it, it's different every time um it, it a lot of times especially recently after doing a few reports that people started paying attention to because i've been i've been you know reporting stuff early for for years now and people hadn't really cared and then um th- this year it, it, it really took off um but now since that's happened i'm getting more unsolicited links uh leaks and that's um that's complicated in its own way because I, I have trusted sources. I have people that know things and then I have people in my DMs saying, here's, here's some stuff that's maybe happening. Um, uh, why don't you look into it? Or here's some stuff. I, here's some stuff I heard. Uh, you know, what have you, what do you know? And some, you know, sometimes that's, um, that's useful. Sometimes it's, it's really dangerous because it's 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 easy to throw people it, it's easy to throw me off like a, a sin if i'm like okay well that sounds plausible maybe it matches up with something else i've heard uh and and really what it comes down to is being sure i have to be i have to be confident uh, about anything that i hear before i repeat it so uh uh when when i hear something like that it, it comes down to okay let's, what can i follow up on here 
what can I what can I prove? What can I uh, show evidence of if I'm actually going to write this in a report? Um, and 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 it's sometimes you know a lot of times you know that stuff doesn't pan out. A lot of times those leaks don't turn into anything, uh, and they just they stay in my DMs, they stay in my messages forever. Um, and then sometimes it is okay. You know what? I know this is actually this probably is accurate. It seems like it is, um, but it, it's it's one of those things. Like uh, I think this was with the. Um, with the Bungie Microsoft rumor that we talked about on the podcast uh, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, was like, okay, you know, this is this, that, that that those conversations probably happened, but you know, the story there is is Microsoft acquiring Bungie, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that that doesn't seem to be the case, uh, it, you know, at least right now, that doesn't seem to be the case. So, is there a story here? I mean, the truth is, is that these companies talk to each other all the time. So, and and, and those conversations are often often going to include like how much. How much would it cost to acquire you? Like that stuff comes up. Um, and, and if that's, that's business as usual, do I need to write a story about it? And sometimes the answer is, is no, but like if we're talking on a podcast, we're like, Oh, we heard, I heard those conversations happen. Well, I did too. And then uh, that, that gets blown up into a huge story. And then Eurogamer confirms that they heard it. And then the company comes out and denies it. And it's, it's, it's just like, this is when it's messy like that. This is why most leaks do stay in the messages. Cause it's just like, I'm not, I don't want to deal with this mess of, of, of he said, she said, I want to only talk about what I can confirm. Um, and, 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 and then even if I can confirm it, I only want to talk about stuff that is actually newsworthy. And I still don't necessarily know if that bungee story is newsworthy on its own, just because everyone's always talking about acquiring people all the time. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, the, the thing is, I mean, that's the bottom line is it's messy. It is a really tough thing to sort through. And it's uh, it takes up a lot of my time. It's I, I, I write fewer stories these days because a lot of my time is spent tracking down information, making sure making sure stuff is true, uh, getting stuff from one source that I that I know is tapped in, talking to another one to see if I can get them to uh, confirm it without me bringing up to bringing it up to them so that they can go, oh yeah, sure, that sounds right. And then now I'm confused. It's like, well, do you, do you, is it sound right or is it right? Do you know it's right? Did you know it before I said it? So it's uh, it's a complicated business, but uh. Uh, it's also, it's fun and it, it's been rewarding so far. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep at it as best I can. I would imagine. So do you ever feel pressure to, to run with a story early because it's a big story or do you ever feel the need to, to hold back extra over certain aspects of it? Cause that's just, like you said, it's a mess. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's always that pressure to worry about other people beating you to the punch. Uh, and I felt, I think I felt that pressure more. Um, in in the past, it's sort of it's sort of waning a little bit. It, it, at a certain point, it's like, um, what's the value I bring to my writing? And and a lot of it is people want to know this information early. And and but I also try to be um very informative, and I try to be um, I try to provide uh, insights into how the business actually works. And uh, I, I, I'm often I'm often surprised like how little people understand about what the way that these these decisions get made and stuff like that. And, and I still feel like that could be my bread and butter and I can focus on that stuff. And if something's happening and, and people want to understand it or, or they don't even know that they don't understand it, I can come out and explain it in a way or, or find someone who can. And, and that could be my, my real value. And it's like, okay, so if, if that's what I, how I feel about my own stuff, um, how much do I want to risk that reputation by potentially running something early uh, before I'm confident? And, and, and my appetite for that is, 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 is shrinking. Absolutely. Um, you know, that said, when, when you have a really hot story, something that's really big, you still want to like, make sure you let the, you know, the other guys that are always leaking stuff, um, 
it, you know, don't beat you to the punch. The uh, thing is, though, is, uh, you know, most of them I have a pretty good relationship with. And a lot of times if we were like, if we're, if we're close to publishing, uh, I might knock on their, you know, their DM and say, hey, what, what, what are you, what are you hearing here? And, 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 and that's like, and they're, you know, almost always <laughs> they're like, okay, yeah, for sure. I, I've, I've heard something there as well. Um, and it, you know, when I, when I go do that, it's like, I usually have something ready to go and I'll go. And then when that, when they're in the same situation, they'll do this, do the same thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, man, then you have the right of way. You go ahead. Uh, this is, this is yours then. And it's, uh, I think that that, that might sound like, um, a collusion, but re- really, honestly, this whole thing is about relationships. This whole thing is about, um, it, 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 the, the the concept of competition is, is, I think, a really flawed one when it comes to this stuff. I think a lot of people think that we, um, uh, if if all other reporters didn't exist, uh, Jeff Grubb would do better. And I do not believe that at all. Uh, what happens is is the more reporting that there is, the more conversations about gaming that is happening, the more interested people are uh, through the personalities that they enjoy listening to or reading. Uh, the more people get interested in games overall, and that that actually benefits me far more. Uh, and so I'm I'm not trying to put anyone else in the dirt. I'm not trying to leave anyone else behind. Uh, I I'm just trying to uh, inform my readers. That is that is the goal. That's the north star. If I'm doing that, uh, everything else will fall into place. And that's that's so far that's proven true. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. And. In many ways, more complex than I would have thought, and at the same time, far simpler. Yeah, it's, uh, it's actually very simple, right? It's very, it's like you just, you just, you're writing for the readers. That's something Dan Shu told me forever ago. I've never forgotten it. You just write for the readers. You don't write for the publishers. You're not trying to, uh, you're not trying to get the developers to like what you write. Write for the readers, and everything else will fall in place. And it's, it's been, it's been really useful. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Jeff, in one way or another, intentional or not, we now know most of what Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo bring to the table over the next, you know, four to six months for next-gen launches and the like. What stands out as most remarkable for how these new systems are being introduced and received? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think obviously the most remarkable thing this time was just the the long wait on on the many of the basic details that we got. Uh, uh, months ahead of time, uh, the last time around. So in 2013, at that E3 I was talking about, they gave us the release date. They gave us the price. Um, I believe that that day you could start pre-ordering, pre-ordering stuff. And so it's like now it's um, it's September, and we just got the the pre-order information for PlayStation. Uh, Xbox pre-orders still haven't opened. They're going to open in a couple of days uh, as we're recording this. And it's like uh, that that long wait absolutely was a, a huge shift in the thinking of how this stuff works. And uh, some of that does come down to the pandemic. But honestly, a lot of this is just it's it's a shift in strategy that companies have realized, like, oh, we shouldn't be giving up this time. We shouldn't be like pre, the pre-order process has um, has shrunk so much that you could do uh, you're going to be able to do the same amount of business in a shorter amount of time. You don't have to, like, pound people with marketing to pl- say, please pre-order for months and months and months, that is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that is far less important than it was. Uh, and instead, you want to be hanging on to the to those very those very crucial details that you are the only company that is in control of. Like you decide the release date, you decide the price, and those are the only things you have full control of. And and then you have a competition who is in the same exact position in you as you in a bunch of really key ways. Like they're using the same hardware vendors. They are. Uh, going after primarily the same, the same or a very similar audience at least. Um, they are competing over the same like third-party resources of like games and stuff like that. Um, 
and 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 you can't really control all of these other factors. You, the only thing you can control is the is the price and the release date. And so, why would you share that stuff early if if it gives your competition an advantage of them of then either either being being able to undercut you or or figure out some other way to 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 you know beat you to the punch on something? Um, and this is something that. W- you know, we've seen this happen with uh, CPUs and GPUs on the hardware side of, of PC components, and I, it wasn't surprising to me when I started thinking about it. Oh, these console companies are learning from what AMD and NVIDIA were doing when they were competing in the last couple of years, and they're just replicating that. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it's also, I think, uh, the other surprise is just watching them compete really, really hard. I think um, uh, in the past, we've seen, I think with like the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation or in the Xbox 360, uh, it was clear that, that Sony was overconfident and aloof. And then with the, with the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One, it was also clear that Xbox was aloof at that time. And they just uh, they didn't get it. And this time, both seem relatively tapped in to what the audience wants. I think that there have been mistakes on each side, but no one has, like, it's not been a disaster at all for anyone. And I think what that is leading to is actually really tough competition. Really. Uh, one company really trying to out, out maneuver the other, so you get stuff like that PlayStation uh, Plus collection, which mm-hmm. includes PS4 games, and it's like, um, you know, this is a collection of, of PS4 games that anyone that has owned a PS4 has probably bought or already got as like part of PS Plus up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's about it's about saying, hey, if you sat out PS4 because you were on Xbox and you were and you are sick of Xbox not having those big prestige exclusives that that we always talk about over on Sony. Get a PlayStation 5, get PlayStation Plus, and then you get all those games. You you could get them, play them right away, and and now you're not missing out anymore. And then come forward with us as we release new games. Um, it's it's like that. I don't think that happens if Microsoft isn't putting pressure on on, on Sony. And I just think this is um, it, it's uh, the kind of composition we haven't seen in a, in a very long time. Uh, I you know I do think back to maybe Genesis and Super Nintendo. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's not as um. It's not as immature. It's not as like uh, uh, they're not going to have you know, Sonic the Hedgehog like making fun of. <laughs> you know, make fun of they're not going to do that anymore. But they are going to be very savvy in terms of their business pr- propositions, and I think that is very exciting. Well, yeah, it's it's. I love that spirit of competition and that idea that they are possibly reacting to one another. And I'm curious how much of that reacting is happening because on the outside looking in it's like they're playing chicken this day the next day the social media certainly seem to be you know answering to one another but on a big company scale uh how much do they know in advance what the other is doing and is it is it day and date reactions or do they know a few things ahead of time how are they planning the 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 back and forth counter punches to one another yeah i mean it's it's different for for each punch um i think a good example is the the hardware so the PlayStation Five is um it's clearly been overclocked since it was first designed it has clearly been they they had the PlayStation Five uh ready to go and it had a certain spec and then uh they probably got wind of what the Xbox Series X was going to have in terms of compute units and they were like okay you know what let's what can we do here we're not going to be able to add more compute units but we, maybe we can overclock this thing and and AMD was ready for that and AMD is also you know they they're they're working with both companies now AMD is not it isn't going to betray one in favor of the other uh they have very strict NDAs but AMD is going to be able to imply things by saying hey uh we have this option in our hardware and it's an option that would fit well with a console if you get my drift um and and so 
uh, when Xbox is like, oh, well, we're not going to go with this like variable uh, clock speed thing that the PlayStation 5 is doing. It's going to be, oh, okay. And then, uh, but, but then Microsoft's immediately going to realize, oh, that's something Sony could do. And, and they're going to, they're going to prepare for that. And then, and then, uh, when you go, when Andy goes back and talks to Sony and say, Hey, well, you know, we could, you could use more compute units. It'll be more expensive, but you know, you want to do that. And like, uh, like, well, no, but maybe we'll do higher clock speeds, but they're going to realize Microsoft could have more compute units. So they're going to plan for that. And then that leads them to be like, okay, so like, yeah, let's do the higher clock speeds. Let's make sure we can do that. And, and I think that the, when looking at the PlayStation five and the way that it operates, um, it seems very clear that they, they got wind of how Microsoft was going to make the Xbox work and they, and they worked backward from that to make sure that it wouldn't be, uh, so very far outpowered. So now it's just, now it's just like a little bit behind the Xbox because of those really high clock speeds. Um, and, and you know, that's going to benefit gamers, uh, but it's also going to lead to some like really interesting, like I can't wait to see how games work on the PlayStation 5 with this, these clock speeds bouncing up and down. That's going to be, uh, really interesting. Um, but then, but then other stuff, it's like the release date and, and stuff like that. Like I think, um, over the last couple of weeks, it was very clear that Sony was just was just bouncing back after Microsoft handled the leak really well. So Microsoft's leak was we found out what the Xbox prices were going to be. Uh, we found out what the release de- release dates were going to be. And Microsoft's like, yes, that's right. Let's go ahead and we're just going to do it this week. So what happened was uh, that definitely wasn't a planned leak on the Xbox side. It was um, it, it happened. And then Microsoft had a bunch of stuff in the works that was going to get approved for the next week. And they just bounced that up. They uh, they they moved that up about 24 hours into a 24-hour period instead of a week-long period. So they got all that stuff approved, and they moved it into a, um, a, a, a they, they, they came out and they announced it, and they handled it really well, and everyone was really impressed. And then Sony was like, okay, well, dang, we have, uh, we thought we'd have more of a heads up about what Microsoft was doing. And now they handled this really well, and they have these the pre-orders uh, you know, happening on the 22nd. Uh, so we have this week in between there where we got to make our stuff happen. And it was clear that Sony was at least prepared to some extent, because if you go back and watch that Sony, that PlayStation showcase, it's, it seems very obvious that they recorded that a while ago and they mm-hmm. just left the gaps where they needed to fill in the blanks. So like they had the, uh, at the very end, they're like, Oh, here's the JPEG that says how much the thing costs. And then uh, Jim Ryan comes out and says, and now you know. And it was obvious he didn't know what the price was when he said that sentence. It was just, it's just like him like gesturing towards a picture that he's never seen before. Uh, and, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's smart and it worked. And, uh, it, it shows that these companies are, are thinking ahead and they are, uh, they are very much building their strategies around responding to one another. And it's just always going to be different. They never know how they're going to get this information, but they are always preparing to respond in one way or the other. Right. Man, uh, it's, it's so cool to think about. I just, I love the back and forth because I know we as gamers benefit from that. And you bring up the Xbox Series S and Microsoft's handling of that. That leak to announcement there. Talk to me about that Xbox Series S approach. Is it the right move? I mean, I'm looking at Jim Ryan's comments on generations and then how that might be a little bit vague there. Is having a Series S the right approach alongside the X? Uh, I think it is. I think that um, 1080p gaming isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, I think that making a console for for 1080p TVs is smart, but I think even even making a console that is uh, affordable for people that that just say, I just want the way to I just want a way to play these games. Like I'm not I'm not I don't really know what the difference is between 4K and 1080p. Those are all just numbers to me. I, I know that the one is higher than the other, I guess. Uh, but when I when I plug stuff in, I actually don't see the difference. And there there are a lot of people out there like that. Uh, and 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 they buy a lot of consoles. I mean, the PlayStation 4 and the and the Xbox uh, One S 
definitely outsold the Xbox One X and the PlayStation 4 Pro. Uh, and so saving money is more important to a lot of people than, than, uh, than getting the 4K option. Uh, and that, that'll probably shift over time, uh, a little bit, but people are still going to want to save money. And games are, aren't going to get so much more graphically intense that a, uh, a 1080p graphics card can't handle them anymore. Um, we, we've been, we've been sort of at, at a plateau with visuals for some time now. Uh, you know, Doom, Doom came out in 2016 and I don't know how much better games need to get than, than Doom in terms of visuals. They just kind of need to look that good. And that game runs excellent. Uh, and, and that, and runs on, on pretty much everything. And it's like, okay, you know, the only only reasons you need more powerful hardware is if you move that from 1080p to 1440p and then and then 4K. Um, and 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 even going forward, that's going to be the truth. Like Doom Eternal is pretty much is pretty similar. It's a little bit more intensive, but it's not like any sort of uh, generational leap in terms of like if you have an RTX 480 on your in your computer and you had that in 2016 to play Doom, you were just fine playing that at 1080p in in 2020 uh, Doom Eternal. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to change very much, especially over the next three years. It's probably also not going to change over the next five years. 1080, we're pretty much done with 1080p. It's just the, it's the fact we have we have tapped it out, and uh, ray tracing might prove a problem, but ray tracing is going to be a problem for everything. It doesn't matter what resolution you're using. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a really good idea. It is it, it is recognizing where we are in terms of computer graphics, and it's recognizing that there's a huge audience out there that just wants what is called a next gen hardware uh, next gen hardware uh they just want ha- want to have access to to games that their friends are playing uh and they don't want to spend $500 they would much rather spend $300 so to me it makes a ton of sense i i i think that um uh i i think that sony will see over time that they'll they'll probably want to have a, a cheaper option at some point and that might just turn into okay when we can uh, maybe we'll move up our plans to have a, a refresh and the ps5 will move down to that price and then they'll have a you know a PS5 Pro or something, um, but but the, competing at that price level, getting down to 300 might prove that might be something that Sony really wants to do uh, sooner rather than later. You know, I've, I've been making the argument over the past few weeks on XEP that powerful IP trumps consumer friendly initiatives and positive messaging. Uh, and obviously, I'm, I'm comparing Sony's incredible catalog to Microsoft's, I would say, incredible suite of, of xCloud and Game Pass and what they're doing with that affordable Series S option. Uh, citing Nintendo's behavior over the years and Sony's market leading and comments uh, with that as kind of support of that, can they – am I an error in thinking that powerful IP trumps those those consumer-friendly initiatives, or is there something, something to it with Microsoft's uh, IP that they have that can turn the tide in, in years to come? I, I think it, it's um it's it's a little it's a little bit more complicated. I think that um upfront when we're talking about launching these consoles, I think the kinds of people that show up to buy consoles in the first few months in the first year, and the kinds of people that spend five hundred dollars on machine, uh, uh, having exclusive prestige IP is is probably more important to them for sure. Um, I think when you start uh branching out to a, a more mainstream audience I, that that stuff wanes pretty quickly i think i think it the, the the importance of um being able to play i guess an uncharted or whatever or god of war uh is is less important than saving money 
uh, having having access to a lot of games, uh, especially if you're talking about like a family buying a console and and buying one that like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a dad. I might buy it. I might buy it for my kids and I might I'm going to play some games, but I'm going to play NBA 2K with my friends. And then that's on everything. I'm not really worried about that. Uh, what's a good what's a good way to make sure that I have plenty of content to entertain these little heathens all the time? OK, well, I'll, I'll get some I'll get Xbox Game Pass. That seems like a pretty good a pretty good way to do it. I'm I'm completely comfortable with a subscription because I already have that for my music and my movies. I'm a busy person. I don't want to have to be figuring out like what games to buy for these kids. I just want to have a service that offers that stuff up. Um, but there's also like a huge, there's a huge audience in between those two, those two places where, um, yeah, there, I think there's going to be people that come to games because of the prestige of the last of us. I think that's obvious. I think that there are uh, people that, that, that were very much just like, oh yeah, games seem okay, but I'm not, I'm not really interested in buying a system. And then they saw The Last of Us and they're like, you know what, I need to actually experience that. Uh, but those games are still pretty rare. And there's, and that, that sort of thing happens with stuff like Assassin's Creed, where it's like people are into history and they just like, oh man, I want to go explore ancient Greece. That's, that's awesome. And oh, that's on everything. It's, it's not like, um, uh, the, the Last of Us is the only one doing that just because it's, it's an exclusive. Uh, these third-party games are equally as important in a lot of cases, and then sometimes, in the case of Call of Duty and even a little bit of Assassin's Creed, it's more important. It's more important to have those games uh, than, than even to have... Uh, uh, like if, if you only had first-party games and you're not Nintendo, like Nintendo's like the one company that pulled that off for a long time, uh, but even then, they, they were always pretty far behind in terms of like overall units sold uh, because people just came to them for Nintendo games. If you only had first-party games and no real third-party support, that's almost worse in a lot of cases. Uh, but but up front, again, when we're talking about the first year, the people the people interested right now, the people on message boards and forums uh, listing down the, the reasons to buy a console, they want to buy a console. What are the reasons that I'm going to buy it? Uh, what what am I going to use as a justification justification to my justification to myself to spend this money? It it's always going to come to those those first party exclusive, exclusive games. So it's 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 absolutely crucial. Uh, but I, I I still think uh, that the services are going to play in a very important part uh, down the line and probably pretty quickly. I think pretty quickly people are going to be like. Oh, these, these, these Xboxes are moving because people see it as a, uh, a real, uh, easy way to get into gaming in, a, in an affordable and sort of, uh, uh, comprehensive way just because of what it offers. Jeff Grubb, that is brilliant. And I want to end with you today on a fun note. What is it that you are looking forward to over the next, you know, three, four months with these next gen launches? Any games standing out for you? What are you looking forward to, man? Uh, yeah. Okay. Let me ask you, when's this, when's this episode coming out? Comes out this Monday. Okay. Well, then I, I can't say what I'm most excited about, but, um, uh, I, I, yes, I can't say. Sorry. Uh, but then, so there's the second. What are you second most excited for <laughs> in the coming months? Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited just to like, to, to, uh, uh, see what people feel about these consoles when they actually come out. I'm very excited to just see what Digital Foundry does. I'm like, I'm like so into this stuff. I'm so ready to just to see the comparisons. And if, if, I'm curious if graphics are going to matter at all. At a certain point, the the, the diminishing returns are going to be so slight, uh, or are going to be so extreme. The diminishing returns that that uh, even if uh, Xbox Series X is is or is significantly more powerful than the PlayStation Five, it, it it might just be significant on paper. And when you're actually looking on the at the games, it might not be noticeable at all. I'm, I just want to see that. I'm also I want to play Cyberpunk. I want to see if that game lives up to the hype. Um, I am. 
Uh, I'm ready to play Miles Morales. I'm like, I love, I love that Spider-Man game. I'm ready to play the next, uh, the next sort of iteration of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, and then I'm just, I'm, I just want to play, I want Breath of the Wild too, man. I just want that so bad. I, I know, I know it's probably holiday next year. Um, but it, I'm hoping it's a little bit earlier. We'll see. We'll have to see. I'm also, I'm also excited to get Mass Effect, uh, uh, Legendary Edition out there so that, uh, people could stop asking me about it. I'm like, uh, like, I, why did I leak that so early now? It's like every, every time I do anything on Twitter, there's a probably like, oh, that's cool, but what about Mass Effect? I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, we'll, we'll see. So, yeah, th- that's pretty much it. But, uh, uh, get back to me next week and I'll tell you what I'm most excited about for real. <laughs> Sounds good, man. Let us know or let the listeners know rather where we can find you, YouTube channel, Twitter, all that jazz. Yeah, I'm Jeff Grubb on Twitter. I'm very active there. Uh, don't follow me if you don't like a lot of tweets. I'm sorry. I cannot, I cannot control myself. It's just my, my mental exhaust fumes going out on there. And that's just what people have to deal with. Um, I'm also, you know, at gamesbeat.com. I do all my writing there. And then if you are looking for some video content, we do a podcast, uh, Gamesbeat Decides. Uh, that goes up on the website, but it, we do it live on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb. Uh, and you can follow that on Friday nights at, at uh, youtube.com slash Jeffrey Grubb slash live. And then I have How Games Make Money is my other podcast. It's where I talk to people about how games make money. Um, and that goes up on Mondays. And you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts or Get the video version on YouTube, also on my YouTube channel. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. I guess I have Twitch, but I just don't have time to stream it these days. I wish I did. Who does, man? Who does? Jeff, thank you for for being here, stopping in, and I hope to have you again on the show at some point soon, man. Absolutely. Let's let's check in in a few months. Absolutely.